KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across the world at kzsu.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect radio show and podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with renowned and cutting-edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast will inform, educate, and illuminate the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, and communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom DiOro. Thank you, Mark. For our guest today, please welcome Richard Pollock, architect and principal of Pollock Consulting, a firm providing strategy and solutions to architecture, engineering, and construction firms, as well as companies working in the built environment. Richard is one of only eight professionals worldwide who have been elected fellows of both AIA and IIDA by their peers. Knowledge is power, and as Richard says, it's all good. For more information, you can visit www.richardnpollock.com. That's richardnpollock.com. Hello, Richard. We're happy and honored to have you on the Modern Architect Show today. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. Thank you, Richard. Richard, what were some of your early inspirations? Because in in looking at uh, your body of work, whatever's available online or in speaking with you, um, there's not just one facet. There's multi-facets to it. What was kind of your inspiration, if you can look back, or as far as you want to look back, to why you do what you Uh, do? Let's go all the way back. The thing that uh, was the first real focus on architecture, I remember drawing a a site plan of my house in Brooklyn, New York, on construction paper, I think it was green construction paper, and somehow figured out how to do a scale using a ruler and just did the whole thing and then looked at it and said, hey, this is pretty cool. And then later on, then I started focusing on engineering. That was wrong. Um, (laughs) For you. Yeah, for me, exactly. And then got back uh, into architecture and have been following that path ever since. Wow. So so if you go past eight years old, was it something also that they were telling your folks or your family or your friends were telling you or even your your teachers that, you know what? Richard, you have a knack for this, or you didn't care if you had a knack. That's what you wanted to do. Yeah. Um, it, it was. It's an interesting question because, in fact, I had so many interests in so many different directions that there wasn't a clear path initially. That's my comment about you know initially going after engineering, and then I took some aptitude tests when I was a junior in high school, and the primary thing that it said was do Ivy League undergrad and do architecture grad school. So I went early admissions to Rensselaer for engineering. Um, And after being a National Merit Scholar in high school, my cum was 1.92, my first semester in college (laughs) in engineering, and said, okay, maybe this was the wrong path to take. And then transferred to Pratt Institute and... uh, Followed the architecture bug, which yeah. I've loved ever since. Yeah, it, definitely. And it, when did you, you 
you get start your practice or I'm jumping quite a bit ahead unless you did when you were maybe uh, 19 but um, <laughs> it, it, when did you, you first start your, your own firm and who you know, maybe who you work with a little bit and then when you decided oh. to start your own firm cool um, actually started working in Manhattan uh, after I graduated from school and interesting quick story is that the first three firms that I worked for this is in the early 70s all fell apart because of a recession that was going on at that time. So the fourth firm that I started working for was an interiors firm. And that was not what I had been interested in in school. I wanted to do core and shell, you know, base building architecture with real buildings Mm -hmm. and not just inside others, uh, but then found that I loved doing the interiors work. And that continued to grow. So... In 1979, we moved to California um, because we were from New York. Uh, As I say, I escaped from Brooklyn. um, (laughs) The original. That's right. Uh, And and got to San Francisco and started working for an interiors firm in San Francisco. Um, And that firm was going through its own transitions and was sort of disappearing in 1985. And that's when I started my own firm. Really? So it was uh, it was by choice? Was it something you had in the back of your mind or the front of your mind? That's, that's another great question. Yeah. I mean, most architects yeah. have that as their main focus. I want to have my own firm. I want to do this, that, the other thing. Um, that was never my key driver. I just want to do great work, do great stuff for clients, you know, have great relationships. Um, and it just ended up, you know, falling into that place. And I said, hey, um, we didn't. We had one daughter at the time, was only about three years old, and we said, well, if I don't try it now, I'll never have the chance again, and started it in 85 and retired from the firm in 2012. So wow. there you go. Yeah. What did you um, experience that uh, kind of brought you to now, to your consultancy, is uh, um, with the business facet or part uh, of architecture. Yeah. And, and what, what was it that you realized, you know what, this is what I need, what we need, what it all needs? An, a, another good question. <laughs> uh, the, the thing that is the issue in architecture is that you study for five or six years in university. And even to this day, there are none or very few business classes that you take as part of that education. True. And I compare that, and I always use this example that when you go to dental school, you take a semester class on how to work with an architect or interior designer because the reason you become a dentist is because you want to make a good living and do okay. It's not that you're typically focused on saving the world and going into that profession. That's reserved for architecture. Um, <laughs> it's, but, so, it's true, though. <laughs> it is. But, but that's, yeah. that's the kind of place that, you know, it, it, it was pushing me to try to focus on that and, and deal with client expectations and make all of that happen. Yeah. So what... Did you practice that immediately within your firm, or was it something that kind of came about? Well, it was, you know, again, with the business stuff, as I started getting into my practice, you start needing to learn about business, which I had never had any any education in. So you start learning about banks and credit lines and HR and all the other good stuff that goes along with business. Mm-hmm. And that expertise grew with me over the 30 or so years in in founding and growing my firm, uh, which was Pollock Architecture. And then along the way, I started doing a number of seminars and workshops for the AIA, for IIDA, 
the intent of giving back okay. and helping to educate architects about business and all the things that go along with it. And then when I finally retired from the firm, that was the time to do more of that and, you know, do it actually on a, on, on a paid basis, God forbid, um, <laughs> and help out a little bit with getting firms to get better at their business. Yeah. On a paid, biz, on a paid uh, note, is there somewhat of a disconnect, you think, between uh, school and the actual getting paid and wanting to get paid well? And if there's some sort of like, um, you know, it's a bad word. To say I want to be paid? I mean, I'm just re- – maybe I'm No, it's, g- it's great stuff. I mean, okay. one, one of the great quotes um, is attributed to Philip Johnson, <clears throat> excuse me, who was asked by the mother of a graduate. Um, he's just getting out of architectural school. How should my son get into this and what's the best way to get a practice going to make some money and do all that stuff? And Johnson said, oh, you got to get the first job. You've got to get the first project. And the mother is like, whoa. I mean, it's like, really? We're going to talk about business? And she says, so past that first, that first project, the first job, what's the second most important thing for my son to do? And he says, get the second job. So, so the baseline is, is that you have to be focused on doing architecture. At, it's a business that does architecture. It's not a design practice that's playing with business. Say that again. That's I think that's it's, really, it's, it's a, a business, business. Okay. that provides architectural services. So it's a, it's a little different spin on, you know, saying, hey, I got an architecture firm. I'm, I have a business that does architecture. That's a transformational that, spin, though, really. I know you said it's little, but that's a really I, Teutonic I agree. shift. I agree. And that's the stuff yeah. that I learned along the way yeah. and made a good living. And my focus was on paying my staff, you know, very good numbers, good bonuses, everything. I mean, there were years that I didn't get paid for a few months, but everybody in the firm got a bonus, even oh. though I had to go into the line of credit, because that's what it needs to be. People need to be compensated properly. Um, architects are probably at the lowest level of any profession in annual income. And that's something that really needs to be focused on, both by the schools, by, you know, the academy, and in the profession, by AIA and other associations. Yeah, what ideas have you thought of to make that shift? Well, I think it it really needs to go back to the academy, that they need to have adjunct professors, et cetera, that know about the business of architecture um, and are willing to share that with you know, people that are in school, because that's the way you start creating the buzz. I mean, as it is now, you come out of school and you're a great problem solver, which is what architecture is about. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know how to deal with the design problem. You can obviously get more experience in certain building types and how things run through municipalities and all of that and construction, et cetera. But you don't really have the clarity initially on how to get paid effectively to have the compensation and make sure that that happens for everybody in the firm. So well, that, that's always been an answer. Okay. Well, let's, let's do a, a, a real a simple exercise that, that could get a lot of emails, not, <laughs> not positive. What if you made that shift initially to every entering student and said, look, we're, we're, we're going to go from a perspective of getting paid and getting paid well and architects 
architecture and the, the problem solving is going to be, uh, you know, part of the growth of that seed. Yeah, it's really got to first embrace the student who's coming in who has got to focus on design. And that's their raison d'etre. That's the reason they're doing this stuff. <laughs> okay. They, they want to be designers. They want to create. They want to do things mostly for themselves, in fact, not okay. really focused yet on clients. Um, and <laughs> the, if you started throwing that at them immediately, it's probably not the right move. So I would suggest that after first year of school, that's when there sh should start being parallel courses in business, in finance. I mean, I have clients nowadays who can't really read a balance sheet or an income statement. And they've been in practice for how long? Oh, for decades. Oh, my. Really? Uh, I have. Oh. I, I had a client who gets confused between accrual and cash basis you know, reporting. So, And this is normal. This is, I'm not, no casting aspersions. This yeah. is the normal mode. So they have to get that kind of education, and it has to start being synced up in school, to your point. Point. Maybe okay. just not the first year. Maybe not the first year. Maybe let's say upon graduate. Oh, oh no, no, before year prior second to year. Graduate. Second oh, year. Really? Okay. Oh, absolutely. Started yeah. in second year. So, so we'll go for another an, another one that could get a lot of emails. <laughs> I was just thinking here. Um, we've got our beverages here. What if what if someone like a Red Bull took got a hold of an account of, of a uh, an architecture firm and put their basic fundamental front, uh, principles in in a play in a Red Bull type of way. You know, there's, there, I think they're at like 49, 50% of revenue goes to promotion and all its its uh, subsets. Oh, boy. If what that would happen could, if, if that someone could, did that to an architecture firm? Do you, it, your, your... it would take off. I mean, oh, my. You, know, you have, I mean, a perfect example, I've, I've, uh, I have nothing but the highest respect for Art Gensler, who has built an extraordinary organization. And the way that he's done that and he says this himself. It's not like he's the world's best designer, but he got it. He got the business. He got how to get clients and to satisfy those clients, to keep pushing on them, and to, in fact, make them maybe move a little bit off of where they thought they wanted to be, which yeah. is the right thing, because architect is supposed to push. Um, not too much, but to push. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and get the stuff to really resonate you yeah. know, at the end of the project and to satisfy the client's needs. So that kind of drive, I think, is still the most powerful. Yeah, certainly. Let's v revisit that. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Join DJ Ramsey for Arabology, the show that takes you on a virtual flying carpet ride through the Arabian Peninsula and beyond. Arabology features interviews, alternative and indie Arabic music, show commentary in English, and much more right here on KZSU Stanford 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Richard Pollack, architect and principal of Pollack Consulting. For more information, please visit www.richardnpollack.com. That's richardnpollack.com. Rich, what, what, back to Art Gensler, he said something that resonates almost every show, and it's a constellation of stars. Mm -hmm. And I, and what you're saying, how if you if you had that well, the Red Bull effect, um, <laughs> figuratively, figuratively and literally, that you if you took that approach in all the facets of business, you 
it, it would absolutely cook. I mean, the problem. Cook, I love that. The, the problem is always awesome. the, the issue. Cook. The issue is even with a Red Bull or other major input and focus on business, the issue is getting the right kind of compensation from clients that enable you to make that happen. I mean, if you're talking about Red Bull coming in and just throwing themselves yeah. into it without, you know, being compensated, that's a different gig. No, 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 they'd be compensated. But, so to be compensated, they're not going to get compensated enough in the current model to make them interested in doing it. How do you shift that value? How do you create that sort of value so that the client uh, understands that this is not unlike an attorney or an accountant Absolutely. or, or uh, any other professional that, you know, if you're talking with an architect, you're talking with someone who's gone through a number of years of school, a lot of accreditation, every project is scrutinized, everything they do is scrutinized, maybe even more so some of the other professions I mentioned. How do you think or how have you experienced, how do you create that value in the mind of the client? The It's what design is actually about. I mean, what we're trying to do with a project, again, as I mentioned, problem solving. A client comes to us and says, here's what we need to accomplish. And I'll focus on interior space, um, you know, working for people like Google and Apple and Adobe and, and other clients like that. They want a, a space that's going to energize their staff that's going to give them all of the um, attributes that are expected nowadays, pool tables, ping pong, um, <laughs> you know, climbing walls, whatever other stuff might be happening. But it's all part of the gestalt. So that's, yeah. that's totally cool. And the thing that those kinds of clients get is the value of the design that makes their people work more effectively and enjoy what they're doing. And part of that is the space. You know, we talk about in design, God is in the details. So when you're looking at a space, it's not just, oh, wow, that thing over there is fantastic and it just knocks my socks off. It's more about, oh, I feel good in this space. I, I have a good vibe. It's making me feel focused on the work that I have to do. And that's the value that comes from what we do. You know, different kinds of projects and clients are going to have different value statements. Okay. So if, if we pick somebody choosing, say, I am pay to design a high rise, they want an iconic building that's going to make a statement about the developer and or the owner of the building. Um, if it's a if it's a corporate client, um, that's a different thing than somebody hiring me to design their new offices because that's going to be much more practical. At the same time, recognizing that it's going to be great design, so it's it's that mix that needs to happen. Okay, what what do you think? I'm thinking something really. Um, uh, Definitely a sidestep to architecture, but there's just a link. If you look at and an actor, I'm use use acting. An actor has an agent, mm -hmm. and the agent finds them the film or the projects, and they're they're compensated for that. Is what's your idea if you had the actor take the place of the actor and have an architect or an architect firm? Is they had a, an agent or a publicist, so to speak, and actually went out and promoted their businesses? What, what, what's your thought on on that sort of approach? It's an interesting concept. I mean, okay. what what some firms have done is to hire a salesperson, a business developer, who is a non-architect, who can go out uncover leads, make some kinds of initial connections, but what what absolutely has to happen in design, at least from all of my experience, is that 
the client needs to be connecting with the team that they're actually going to be working with. So that in, that front end person, it, it's very analogous. I mean, the agent versus the business developer. Um, that gets you to the table, and then you, meaning the actor or the architect, are going to show that potential hirer how well they can do the project. So. If there's the money, this is this comes all okay. the way around to the money again. If you've got, you know, a, a serious feature film actor who's making twenty million dollars on a film, ten percent of that goes to the agent typically. So that's two hundred k, or two million, excuse me, <laughs> two million um, as their fee. And that kind of money doesn't exist in architecture. So it's how would you get an agent equivalent? to be doing that for a dollar 380 instead of 2 million dollars so that's yeah. the differential so it, it goes back it, I, don't, I don't i just don't know that it would be that effective it's, it, okay the I model just, is right okay a hundred percent it's just because of the dollars and cents i don't know that it would actually work in architecture yeah i'm thinking i'm thinking as a a, a developer is if you can you quantify the value that you bring with you is there a way to do that we actually, I actually created a uh, a separate business many years back called PDK Consulting, and it was about how do we actually determine the value of design, and th- using like parametrics, that. using statistical analysis, and all kinds of dynamics. Not from me, from a, a partner of mine who was working on that side of it, an economist. Um, we developed a strategy to actually show the value in dollars and cents, bottom line. So here's a perfect example to your question earlier. So when selling architectural services, it's a struggle. You're writing a proposal, you're doing an interview, and you're competing against your colleagues, and then hopefully you get to the finish line. In this other thing, when we first got the package together and were developing the analysis, brought it into a major corporate client in Marin, showed it to the facilities person. Facilities person said, oh, yeah, let's run this up the flagpole. So it ended up going up to the CEO in a week. And in the meeting with the CEO, the the, the one-hour presentation to the CEO got down to five minutes. And he, <laughs> the course. CEO said, yeah. oh, done. How do you want to be compensated as a percentage of the savings or a fixed fee? And and I was blown away. Really? So so yeah. you know people can't see it, but there's no hair on my head, and I think it was blown <laughs> off by that that wind that one from time. that exactly. So but but it's that kind of thing that he, here you're showing value powerfully, dollars and cents, and there's no problem, instant purchase. Whereas it's not as clear and easy to do with just selling architectural services. Okay. It's, it's a it's a it's it can a be switch. Can, it can be modified though. It can could it not? absolutely because that sounds like something that's uh, it, it can be tangible. It is completely tangible. Okay, and it shows the real value. I mean, that's because we it's the holy grail of architecture. How do you show the value? Oh my God! Um, and what is value? It would be dollars and cents. Yeah. So. Wow, have you have you evolved that uh, that practice or that formula at all to to, to, to it, get to? It uh... still exists. I okay. have not been focused on it for a bit. So that that's the. I mean, it's the, the process is there. 
anybody could pick up and create something like that out in the marketplace. That could be quite, that's happen. a breakthrough. Well, we we thought it was very cool. Didn't sell it as well as we could have. Yeah, but that's just just sitting here we're talking about this. You know, we have a number of great guests, and, and the topic and the challenges are um, are not too dissimilar. Agreed. And uh, if you can you can quantify the value of what you bring, I think you sh- you you may make that shift that we're talking about. It, it would be a very cool thing to do. Yeah. So in the meantime, how, how do you, you know, with your practice now, on a practice or you're consulting now, no. do you share, what, what type of things or problems do you see that are consistent with some of the people that you work with, That's that you help solve? Yeah. I mean, the, the thing always comes down to business again, to the dollars. So it's <laughs> it like, how do you get these people to focus on the dollars? And it's also to a great degree recruiting and retention and building the staff. Because what, what's the real value of an architectural firm? It's the people. It's not stuff. You know, it's not computers and, yeah. and light fixtures. It's the people. That's the value. So if you can demonstrate that and if you can and, – and what I'll try to do is to help clients with those kinds of – recruiting things, retention, you know, there's something that needs to be changed. Architects are notoriously bad um, because they will delay making decisions about staff. Like, let's say somebody has to go away. That's a cost, though. They, oh, my gosh. Um, but they won't do it. They'll, they'll drag it out forever. And one of the things that I do in my consulting, which is kind of fun, it's, it's different than a usual consultant in that I tell people what to do. It's not like you could do this or you could do that or you could do, you know, X, Y or Z. I say, here's what you should do. Here's how I learned it. I've been through this before. My goal is to get you to the finish line faster than I got there by missing all of my mistakes. So it's like that's how you do it. You know, take that experience. You know, I mentioned Art Gensler. He wrote his book, you know, Arts... uh, Arts Principles. Arts Principles. Thank you. Um, And very much in sync with my head, too. It was interesting when I read it. You're saying, oh, my God, I'll be darned. So I'm following the man. (laughs) So so there is a simple process. It's not easy, but there is a simple process to this and you're you're mentioned you said you you're telling them what to do so you, do you think there's a distinction between being a consultant and an advisor or is it just that it, is it's it just, just that most people who are doing what i'm doing are are not typically in the client's face and that's very much what i will do it's like i'll listen i'll get a clear understanding of what the issues are and yeah. then if i've been through it and understand it fully i will say here's what i suggest you do that's terrific. It reminds me of a show um, that airs called The Prophet. Have you heard or seen? I've heard of it. Mar- seen his it. name is Marcus Lamonis. I hope I'm saying his name correct. But it, he, uh, I'll sum it up real quick and, and tie it into what we're talking about. Is uh, He goes into a business or a business that he chooses that he thinks there has growth potential, the people look pretty good, and he goes in. And let's say, he, uh, to shorten it up, as he likes them, he, he says, for X amount of dollars, I'll invest in your company, and I want 51% or something significant like that. Right. And they work, it looks all happy, and we're all going to make this thing go. Invariably, there is a blow-up. With and it's it's not always no. on him. There are times episodes I look and want to say, "Is it got to be him or his delivery?" <laughs> or so no, no, I mean not 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 even a one time. It's always the the principles that he's working with that have that give him the resistance or the or the um, 
I mean, I'm almost physical altercations. Oh, it gets to that level. Do yeah. you experience that, that being in their face that much? What what it's it's not that heavy duty, but there, I have definitely had clients say to me, "Enough, I get it." Oh, really? Okay. And that's cool because I actually that to me is not a negative. To me, that's no, a yeah. All. You heard it. Yeah. You got what we're talking about. And the my clients in these days that get me, in fact, do very well in their business you know one one client i know i've been working with for like four or five years and it, he's like tripled his revenue it's not just me tripled yeah not i mean this is certainly yeah. not just yeah. me but yeah. it's it, it's i kind of think back to me in in similar modes that i had a good advisor at one point when i was going through ownership transition with the firm and how to develop an esop and to make all the things work to transition to the next generation and I got what he was telling me because it resonated. It made absolute sense to me from a business perspective. So I adopted it instantly. Not, it's not like a, a three-week effort. It's an overnight effort. Changed things instantly. And that's what, I mean, that's sort of one of the weird parts of my personality. That's not a normal thing. <laughs> I agree. Um, but it's, it's how I've managed to do things. And it's to get people who get that to then execute. Excellent. Greetings, fellow Earthlings. Bill Nye the Science Guy here, CEO of the Planetary Society, or as I like to call it, Your Place in Space. You can hear me on your radio and online every Friday at 5.30 p.m. That's when the good folks at KZSU air Planetary Radio, the Society's weekly visit to the final frontier. That's Planetary Radio, Fridays at 5.30 on 90.1 FM, Stanford's KZSU. Join me in space. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. We're talking today with Richard Pollock, architect and principal of Pollock Consulting. For more information, you can visit www.richardnpollock.com. That's richardnpollock.com. Richard, I... I uh, how much do you think is uh, an internal shift that has to happen before an actual business or practice transition? I think it's, I think it's again, education. You know, okay. if people are – if practitioners are exposed to what the issues are that they will face in business – they're more prepared. It's no different than the technical side of the profession. So you've got, you, you learn how to design, you learn how to go through the phases of design. The same thing needs to happen on the business side. I, I even remember that when I first started my business and I was getting a line of credit and I'm talking to the bank and I get the paperwork back from the bank and it says there's a thousand dollar fee to open up the line of credit. And and I don't know anything. I mean, I'm totally ignorant. <laughs> okay. And I and I call up the banker and I said, so let me understand this. So I'm going to get a line of credit. When I borrow money, I'm going to pay you interest. And for me to pay you interest, I'm going to pay you $1,000 to start out. <laughs> and and the yeah. banker says to me, well, let's make it $500. Oh, and, no. I, and I was apoplectic. I said, I'm, to myself, I'm saying, oh, my God, you can negotiate with a bank. Uh, had no idea. <laughs> so, of course, I said, because it's typical of me, I said, yeah, I think zero is the right number. He says, let's do 250. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm pretty sure that I want to stick with zero. He said, okay, we'll do zero. 
And that was the case for the entire length of the firm, 28, you know, 30 years. There would be the paperwork that would come through, and some somebody either in-house or on the bank side would say, oh, oops, 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 sorry, we'll take that off. Um, so it's that kind of stuff, and you start learning that. I mean, if you have somebody teaching you this as part of your architectural education, then you know you're going to get out of school, and if you want to have your own practice – you know some of the stuff you need to have in your head to make that start to happen. Yeah, well, even if you don't have your own practice and you start, you work with someone else, if you're familiar with it and you understand the language and, and some of the processes, it, it, I can't help but think it'd be not beyond be just beneficial. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it, you as an architect have to talk your client's language. So, you know, in, in architecture, we have some funny terms, just like in law and medicine. Yeah. It's like, you know, you say you go into the doctor and you got a, a bruise on your arm and the doctor says, oh, that's a serious hematoma. And you say, what's that? He says, oh, that's a bruise. <laughs> okay. All right. So it's the same kind of dynamic. In architecture, we'll talk about a design, a certain design approach, and we'll call it the parti, P-A-R-T-I. So this is our parti. So if we said this to a client, hey, let me show you the parti we got going on here. And, and the guy will say, where's the booze? <laughs> yeah, where's the cheese? I mean, where's, where's the so, – so it's – if I'm going to speak to an attorney – and if I'm trying to get a project with an attorney, I will speak their language. We'll talk about how the partners are, are, are organized, how the associates are organized, who's in a workstation, who's in an office. I mean, try to get into the business of what it is. Then the design solves that problem. Oh, that's terrific. What schools have you, are you familiar with that are, are, are either leaning this way to, to put that that part of the uh, the business in or considering it are there any that you know there there i think rice has for a while had a co-op program but it's not quite the same thing meaning that you're going to be working in a firm so you at least exposed before you graduate from school to what you're going to be doing you know, for the rest of your life. I never had that. I got out after five years and went into a firm. Actually, this is a great tangent story. Um, I go into my first firm, and I'll come back to the other piece, and I walk in with a scale and a 45-degree triangle and a big fat pencil and come in. They say, oh, um, Eddie, you'll take you back to the drafting room. Eddie? You Eddie, remember the name Eddie, or you just threw it oh, out there? Eddie Descalzo. Oh, you I remember totally the name. remember. He was a good friend. He became a good friend. And he said, where's your stuff? I said, uh, what do you mean stuff? I'm ready to design. Design? I got my <laughs> sketch. I'm, I'm all ready to go. He says, design? You're a draftsman. He says, now we need to go talk to the principal because there's a misunderstanding. So, oh, my God. So now we go back to the principal. I figure I'm going to get fired at 9.15. Um, and the principal, uh, Bob Safran, says, listens to the story and says, looks at me and says, how much did you waste on your architectural education? Um, now Eddie's going to teach you how to be an architect. He said the word waste? Oh, absolutely. Oh, oh 100. With a big Cheshire cat grin. Um, so it was Eddie that taught me how to draft. So think about this. Five years at Pratt, nobody taught me how to draft, to twirl the pencil, to do all the things that you need to do. Literally not one class that showed me that. So you get out. You know how to think. You know how to problem solve. But you can't work. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! How much is how much do you think things have changed? It's since then? it's changed from that. Okay. I mean, most kids are first of all, it's all computerized now, so everybody's using computers in school, and that translates, I think, easier than having to 
do the right line weight. Yeah, okay. with the pencil. Yeah, how do you? Uh, what do you? What do you see? If this, this imagine this, we'll put a. a no, it's not hypothetical because at some point I think this is going to happen. You know, in the 21st century, what you're talking about. It'd be great if you, you and others that you know, are at the forefront of this, like you are, but in an in an institutional, in an institutional way. If you if you went into an architect's school now and you were. You were going to be the dean of architecture. Right. Would you input this in what second, third year? I know we second year, starting okay. right away. And would it be it would it be incorporated into the practice, or would Absolutely. it have to be separate, like one semester of nothing but P and L? No, no, no. It really needs to be integrated. That's the whole okay. thing. I mean, it's it, the whole thing that you're trying to do. And this is any education. You're learning the tools that will enable you to be a good practitioner. And this is medicine, law, engineering, anything, architecture, same thing. So that happens to be one of the tools. You know, how do I read my profit and loss statement? How do I see how I'm doing? If I'm just a project manager in a firm, how do I make sure that I'm covering the fee and I'm doing things in sync with the project plan and working it as a business? Because that's, that's what it is. It's that simplistic. So it is a business. I don't. I, uh, I. I. didn't think of that when I went to school. Business was actually. I hated it. <laughs> Frankly, I did. Um, but it only shifted when you realize you. You, you gotta. You, well, you gotta, gotta make money. Yeah, yeah. You got. You gotta <laughs> make money. So then it shifted, and I realized it wasn't so bad. And we were talking in. We call it the green room out there. But we were right. talking before we got on air. Is how do you. Um, how do you make that shift mentally? Yeah. Well, wh- one of the things leading into that is you think about an architectural process. Every project we do is a prototype. True. So, which nobody ever presents or thinks about, but every project is unique. So, if you've got an understanding of the bigger picture, what are, you know, what's the budget? What are the the dollars that are involved to construct it? How is this all going to come together? That needs to be part of the design process. So the same thing has to happen in school. It has to be integrated so that as you're starting to work on how to design and understanding the discipline and how that operates, the kind of phases and approaches you're going to take, it would make great sense to say, hey, if this is what you're going to be working on, Here's what you should be thinking about on the the dollar side, on the business side, including marketing, business development, you know, HR, all those other things to build the right team and organization. Yeah. How would you've got you, we talked about this. We are uh, I've got a quote here from we are a business that does design not a design business. Right. You're that's it. I mean, that's the gig. I mean, if you get people that... That's loaded, though. Oh, it, it, it's loaded, uh, yeah. and it's, you know, it's sort of a, a throwaway, but it's the intent of it is to show that there's a difference. It's, it's like Kennedy's, you know, ask not what, you know, your country can yeah. do for you. It's what you can do for your country. So it's, it's a similar kind of, you know, play, but it highlights the issue, and it's core to my being. Um, I, I've talked with people that used to work for me that have started, you know, their own practices. Mm -hmm. And it is the most rewarding thing to have them say to me years after the fact, say, I learned so much from you and the firm that it has really helped me with my business and understanding the issues. And it was like, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, it's got to be fulfilling as heck. That's the, to me. It's well, not quite as good as being on the cover of a magazine, but it's <laughs> but it's it's good. It's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. How long are your your clients with you usually before they get to a point where you could either say, you know what, I think uh, our work is either done here, or I'm, I don't think your work is ever done, frankly, because right. as long as a business is open, you have to be practicing these principles. So it's never done. But I, is there a, is there a time a duration that you're usually with them before you? either say you know what i think you're where you want most of them it it will go on because what happens is that their business is changing as well so it's not a steady state on their side so they're with growth starting to uh, run into some of the issues that again i went through um, in building my practice so that kind of thing is helpful for them for a continuing basis. And if it gets to a point, and it's always a discussion that says, so what else do you need from me? Where, where else are we going? And sometimes we'll take a hiatus. Sometimes it'll continue apace. Yeah. It's all predicated on what their real needs are and their focus oh. as well. So I'll, I'll go to a phrase I've been hearing quite a bit, and I, really, I firmly believe in it, is there's a difference between working on your business and working in your business. What's your take in... Thoughts on you that. have to work on it. I mean, you have to look at it from above and see how it's functioning. Look at it objectively. That's always the hardest okay, yeah. thing to do. Okay, yeah. Okay, I'm going to stop. Objectively, how do you get to even look at it objectively? Because we like to come from our own perspectives or yeah, points of so view. Yeah, so this is when I'll, you know, pat myself on the back. This is when there's an advisor, a consultant <clears throat> that can look at it much more objectively than you can. I mean, it goes back to my earlier comment about if there's a need to make a staff change, you've got a loyalty. You're working with these people there's, you know, kumbaya that's going on. And me as the outside person can be the real jerk and say, I know you've got a great relationship. You've been buddies since, you know, junior high, but it's not helping your business right now. So if that's okay, then don't make any changes. If you want to grow the business, both revenue, profit, size, etc., you may have to do this. Yeah. And then the ones that really listen will actually do what needs to be done sooner yeah. than later. Yeah. So the ones that, that do listen to it. What percentage? This is a loaded question. Um, I actually got it from Price Waterhouse Cooper. <laughs> I asked them this question, and and uh, they they did answer it. But I'm just curious from in your space, in the architecture space, what percentage of revenue would you contribute or commit to? the growth of the business is there a, is there a number 10 percent 15 percent i got the number i got was an average of 15 to 25 percent so you know what's wonderful about this statement is that what are they you know what's their focus it's consulting to businesses so it's giving them the direction they need to have in architecture the growth i mean it's, it's a it's oftentimes a different model because the only way you're generating revenue in a design firm is by having more people. So the more people you get, the more revenue you have. It's not as oh, though wow. you, can, okay. you can't continuously improve the effectiveness and efficiency of one person or two or three. You're going to have to add to it. So, and, and you normally would figure just maybe as a rule of thumb, 200000 per employee per year, maybe more than that nowadays that is being generated in income. Okay. So that you've got their salary taken care of, you know, for the more junior staff, for the more experienced people, it's a higher number than the 200000 Um And that's the, the direction. Okay. So 
taking that into consideration, we'll go for a station break and I'll touch right back it get back into this. You're listening to The Modern Architect, KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. Did you know that secondhand smoke is as dangerous to a child's health as inhaling car exhaust? The toxic levels in a car when someone is smoking can reach up to 10 times the level considered safe. If you or someone you know would like to quit smoking, call the California Smokers Helpline at 1-800-NO-BUTTS or visit First 5 California at www.first5california.com. We're talking today with Richard Pollock, architect and principal of Pollock Consulting. For more information, please visit www.richardnpollock.com. That's richardnpollack.com. We're talking about the uh, percentage of revenue, mm-hmm. and and to do that, this this struck me. Uh, you have to add people. You have to add people to do that. Obviously, the the, the correct people, or whatever you determine is the right. correct, the right people. But you have to add that to. Yeah. It. I've never thought of that. It's it's recruiting. I mean, what one of the things that I've I've said for years, uh, recruiting is an ongoing project. It's not just when you need people. Oh, all right. So that what yeah. you're doing. I mean, the whole goal again, going back to my comment, the firm is actually all the people. So if you're always meeting people, always interviewing people you're going to get some people that are going to come across that you may not need right then and there, but they're extraordinary, and they're clearly going to be an advantage to the business. You hire them. So there's the... Regardless if you need them right now. Exactly. So there's there's the contribution. So whatever their salaries are in percentage to the the revenue of the firm that's where the reinvestment's going to happen plus the you know the equipment and maybe geographic expansion and all those yeah. other kinds of things i mean getting my firm to a 50 person firm was not an easy thing you know it was getting the right people it was changing people along the way that hard thing i described yeah. with the great loyalties that i had but in order for the firm to grow i had to put on some blinders and say this is what we need to do for the firm, not for us individually. There's it's that object the that you said objectively. Object- That's uh, it. You have to be that. You way. have to look at it objectively. Wow. And Hard. That, uh, yeah, it is. And if you, how do you? Is there a way to do that, or you just have to have that uh, innate ability? Do you think some people innately have that? I or do you, can you think teach that's it? Probably true. I think it can be taught. Okay. But it's also, I mean, I, again, I go back to myself. I say I had no education in business at all, never thought I was a good salesperson or business developer. And then you find out, because you're thrust into it, that you can do both pretty damn well. And you kind of go, oh. So it's not necessarily what is, you know, etched on my forehead, <laughs> but it's yeah. stuff that clearly was there that that's what enabled the firm to grow and to become as successful as it did. It's because there was some innate, which I didn't know about, yeah. and I was also interested in focusing on it. So yeah. so if you're just going to do and only want to do design, then you need to hire somebody who's going to be the business person or have a partner who's the business person. So you got to have that balance in there someplace. Yeah. Richard, before we... Um 
before we uh, uh, finish our, our terrific program, how did you come about with the It's All Good? <laughs> you, you look it, you vibe it, it's, it's just essence. No matter what happens, you know, we've had some things going on in the station and you just keep going and it's all good. It's all what, good. What, what, you, Absolutely. Um, there's a guy that I met many years back in, in the profession um, who had that as his mantra. And it resonated so strongly with me that I absorbed it from him. And I give him total credit for it. You know, Jimbo gets total credit for it. Um, And it's also helped me in my um, personal and business interactions to recognize that the glass is way more than half full. Oh, it has to way be way more than half. Full. Has to be way more. Okay. No matter what your natural inclination is, and mine is probably it's way less than half full. <laughs> but you have to balance that. So you find the intestinal fortitude. You find the people around you that are positive that are going to continue to build that dynamic, and it's all good. Richard, what kind of a uh, pro- what are your recent projects? If you're if you're at liberty to share with us, well, your most I, recent, if you can, if you're okay with sharing with well, us. Well, yeah, I mean, on, or an old one, on, whatever. On, on the architectural side, yeah. you know, from my architectural firm, I did some great work with Adobe in uh, Utah with Apple and Google all around the places, and those are the things that stand out the most. I mean, it's it's projects that are, you know, current that are generating the right kind of stuff for the millennials that are inhabiting them um, and, and understanding that dynamic, you know, because I'm old. So it's great, you know, having... Really? Oh, God. No, believe me, God. I, you're younger than a lot of kids around here. <laughs> I, I mean that very seriously. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for that. But it's, it, it's really, nowadays, it's more about bringing some of the experience out, you know, to the to the profession. So I've been doing a lot of talks around the country and in Canada and doing things like that. And that's the most fun. When people are coming up to me, again, this is past the design side of stuff. Um, Having these young practitioners come up and say, wow, (laughs) I I thank you. Yeah, okay. This is what I got to do. And that gives me a great deal of satisfaction now. It's, it's, you know, in my dotage, um, <laughs> it's, it's the opportunity to continue helping. And, and again, the firm had, on the design side, had a number of, you know, award-winning projects um, and it, all interiors um, all around the place. We did all of Salesforce's work globally for many years. Um, so it's all that kind of stuff. Because, again, w- what's happening in those cases the client is in sync with us and us with them. So it, it becomes a solution that's better than the sum of the parts because you've got great attitude coming into it. You've got the design side saying, oh, gosh, I love this client. Let's do this. Let's push this a little bit more. And that's the juice that really makes the things, you know, work so effectively. Oh, that's terrific. What would you – what kind of advice or – would you give uh, for an aspiring architect or a, a new practicing architect? I think we covered a lot of that, but mm. you know, if you can sum it up at the end, because someone may not have uh, have heard it, or can you actually hear it again? Yeah. What would what would you uh, suggest or I mean, recommend? You, if you're coming out of school and you're getting into the profession, um, one thing that's great in the current year, especially in the Bay Area, is that you could get work 
instantly, it seems, because every firm is struggling to get people. Um, it's looking for the right kind of firm that's in the areas that you want to practice. You know, chances are you're going to come out of school with some attitude that says, I want to do schools. I want to do high-rise buildings. I want to do X, Y, or Z. Find the right firms. Find the firms that do that. Talk to the principals. Talk to staff, if you can, in addition to the principals, because you're going to get a different perspective. And mm. you also mm-hmm. have the opportunity with various online tools to see how people think about the firm and whether they're well taken care of. Because the whole thing really, again, revolves around, I want people in this profession to make a good living. I don't want them to be scraping and doing all the things that tends all too often in this profession. So I want it to get better. And by people being objective in how they're looking for jobs, not just saying, oh, I want to work for that guy because yeah. he does great. You know, you got to find out if it's the right place for you. Um, I, I had a firm when I first came out of school, very big, well-known firm in, in Manhattan that I came in. They said, oh, we love your portfolio. Oh, my God, this is great. Um, why don't you start tomorrow? You got, you're going to be doing everything. And and they said, you know, of course, you know, you're not going to get paid. Um, and I, I was like, excuse me? What do you mean I'm not going to get paid? <laughs> You, you think I'm coming from money? I mean, I'm, I'm living in the middle of Brooklyn. Yeah. I have no money. So it's like, let's find the right firm. So you can pretty well guess I did not take that position. Yeah, but did you you, you looked at it objectively. I had yeah. to, well, that, that yeah. was pretty clear. Yeah. It's like you want to live in your car or you want to you know work for a firm that will actually pay you. Yeah. Yeah, so speaking of pay, you think at some point that perception will, will – uh, be high enough to where being an architect is actually a very high-paying profession. Oh, my God. Your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> That's um, awesome. That's, I love it. Really, it's I see the shift. That's part of why we have the show. Okay. okay. It's, it's, so it's as revered, um, not from, a, from an ego place, but from a place of, of great space for people. There are many occupations very, uh, that at one point were really not well either thought of or well well uh, compensated, mm-hmm. and they are complete. It's completely shifted. I use I use sports for example. Um, you know, they're they're at one time professional athletes had to have other jobs. They couldn't uh, they couldn't just play for a team and be revered. They had to true, they true. had to have other jobs just to support themselves. Whereas now it's you know there's a minimum and they're revered. And I think the the that architects and those in the built environment, just because I've I've liked it for as long as I can recall, right. ought to be as as revered because you're influencing the entire space. Well it's 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 beyond that. You know when Thank you think you. about it's it when you, that. when you think about it, we spend an extra extraordinarily high percentage of our time in an office environment, not at home. I mean, at home, we might be sleeping for eight hours, but, you know, in the office, maybe only sleeping for four hours. No, um, it's, it's, you know, just at least being, you know, in an environment that stimulates yeah. you, that makes you feel better, that is going to solve issues for the client as well. So that's yeah. really the, the great goal, and that's a, a wonderful opportunity and satisfaction for for an architect. Yeah, well, I, I, I really appreciate you committing to that. You know, I, we're committed to it with the show as well. And as it's it's 
it continues to grow, and as uh, more than just the word gets out, the words get out, the, that uh, that will shift. And I, I envision that happening within definitely within the next five or ten years. Money! Yeah. Money! Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, it's something, yeah, we'll get a lot of emails on this. Oh, you guys are way off subject here, but you know we like to be diverse in, in, in the built environment, you know, with architecture, the engineering, with construction. But it... Uh, um, I've even went gone so far as saying I think you need uh, um, civic leaders and everyone to be architects I and agree. To just just to have that 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 bent that vision of it and uh, I, I see it coming and agreed uh, Richard it's been terrific having you as our guest today thank you very much for coming on our show we hope you consider coming back to us very soon thanks so much for the opportunity thank you you've been listening to the Modern Architect I'm Tom Dioro our guest today has been Richard Pollock architect and principal of Pollock Consulting, a firm providing strategy and solutions to architecture, engineering, and construction firms, as well as companies working in the built environment. Richard is one of only eight professionals worldwide who has been elected fellows of both the AIA and IIDA by their peers. Knowledge is power, as Richard says, it's all good. For more information, you can visit www.richardpollock.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities, communities, and lives. The Modern Architect is recorded at KZSU Radio Studios at Stanford University in Palo Alto, California. This production of KZSU Radio. The recording engineer and production manager is Mark Lawrence. Assistant engineers are McGregor Joyner and Ash Kejagi. And we are all assisted by Bryce Carter. Executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. Support for KZSU comes from modeler.com, a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com works with architects from architecture and design firms to discover, discuss, and specify products for their building projects. We at KZSU thank Modeler.com for their generous underwriting of the production and broadcasting costs of The Modern Architect.